Hello, welcome back to Rightfully So. Uh, we're freshly bra- back, freshly back from our Thanksgiving break and maybe not quite up to speed yet. <laughs> uh, we are back from our, our brief Thanksgiving break. Uh, for those of you listening, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, even if you don't celebrate, I hope you took the time to uh, relax, uh, refresh and recharge. And for those of you who are in academia and you find yourself trying to sort of finish these last couple of weeks, um, in, in school, both teachers and students alike, you can do this. You got this, right? We're this close. We're, we can't see my fingers are very close together. We're this close to finishing out the semester. Hang in there. You can do it. So this week, our discussion is going to be about introductions and conclusions. Uh, I, I feel like in my experience as a writing instructor, as a writing instructor, introductions and conclusions have been one of the things that students most often neglect. And I don't think it's deliberate. I think that um, in the classroom, as instructors, we may have a tendency to to focus on aspects like constructing an argument, building your body paragraphs, using evidence. And we put less emphasis on things like the introduction and conclusion. And so students sort of perceive them as unimportant because most of their focus is on constructing a strong rhetorical argument. However, without that introduction, without that that conclusion, to some extent, the body of the essay becomes somewhat irrelevant. So I thought it would be interesting to ha- sit down and have a talk about what, what is the importance and the value of a well-written introduction and conclusion. So uh, I guess the first question is then, why should we spend time on our inter- introductions? I was thinking about, um, as you were talking through, you know, this introduction about introductions and about how um, ideally they set the stage, right? Like, so um, early when I, and, and, and you're, you're totally right in that sometimes as instructors, we don't even talk about it. When I was a early writing instructor, um, one of the um, metaphors I used to always talk about um, in terms of an introduction was it's just like in a court case where the attorney comes out and says, okay, gives their opening statement, right? Like, here's, here's what we're doing. You know, here's what you need to know before you hear all the evidence. Um, and it just sort of lays it out in a way that's like, will interest the audience. Um, but also inform a little bit, like here, he, here's the setup, right? Like here's the background before I get to, um, you know, <laughs> trying to convince you about something, right? Like, so um, it, it is important in that way. Um, so I don't know, that's, that's the first thing I thought of when you had posed that question. That's so true. And I think part of, uh, I not that I take the approach of here's what not to do first, but, <laughs> but a lot of times I have students who will tell me that, that the introduction, when I ask them, cause a lot of times I like to ask them mm-hmm. what they think the purpose of the introduction is. And a lot of them will tell me that it's supposed to, uh, grab your reader's attention or get your reader's interest. Right. 
And I have to kind of clarify sometimes and say, well, that's not necessarily the case in all forms of, right. You know, it depends on your purpose and it depends on your audience. Is this a situation where you do, you know, it's a speech that you're giving and you're trying to, you know, persuade them to vote a certain way or something like that, then sure. Maybe there is a little bit of this. I need to engage, you know, them a little bit more. And I said, but if you're writing, you know, for an academic journal, about a recent, you know, uh, a development in your research, the interest is there because there's going to be other academics who are genuinely wanting to know what have you just developed or what's, you know, the latest and greatest about your, your, your project that you're working on, you know? So, so it's more kind of thinking about what that purpose is and kind of like reflecting what Jeanette was saying. It's, it's about setting that stage and saying, here's where we are currently with, this discussion. Here's where we are currently with, um, you know, the, the research or whatever, you know, that your essay topic is about. And now here's where I'm inserting my kind of perspective, right? So it's more about kind of saying, here's where we are as far as, you know, kind of giving us that context really, um, to set it up. Yeah, that's, um, I I'm with you there. I, it's kind of funny. I, um, uh... I do still tell my t students that that the introduction there is to hook because I don't always presume an interested audience, um, and 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 I don't want them. You're right. If your audience is already coming to you, you probably don't have to do as much work to engage. Um, but that seems to be like the rule of thumb that everyone seems to remember from like high school or middle school or whatever, where you start learning about like the five paragraph essay and an introduction and your three body paragraphs and your conclusion. You need to hook the reader. It needs to engage them, and so they do all these. You know, when there's an introduction, it tends to be over-reliant on cliche, like Webster's Dictionary defines um, mandate as, or if you were in a situation to change the world, what would, you know, the rhetorical question thing or the notable quotables? Um, and, and these things are fine, but we call them cliches for a reason, right? They're sort of overwrought and overused. And then Jeanette makes a good point about establishing context and and i tend to frame it as um managing your reader's expectations so in other words setting your reader up so that they're prepared for what's in the body of the essay and and more sort of like locally or in the short term they're prepared for what's in the thesis statement as well and so i'll outline you know the introduction may include things like um uh, a roadmap. So if you have a particularly long or complex argument that has a lot of moving parts to it, or it's just a long paper where you're going to be dealing with many different but related subjects, you might want to include a bit of a roadmap. And it doesn't even have to be a complex roadmap. You can simply sort of broadly outline, this is going to be my initial argument. This is the counter argument. This will be my rebuttal to that argument. And then this is sort of like the conclusion I hope to arrive at and sort of like lead into your thesis statement. Uh, and then I often offer up strategies uh, for introductions that help students get past some of these cliches. So before I, I sort of spoil that, let me ask, do you have any sort of strategies or examples of, of types of introductions that you offer to your students that might help put, get them past the uh, Webster Dictionary defines as? I, going back to, I... Not that I approach introductions with what not to do, but I do kind of have a moment where I say, okay, let's talk about this whole hook sentence thing. Um, and I tell them, 
there's no need to be dramatic. There's no need to go to that level of trying to say some mind blowing quote about humanity or, you know, my favorite is, you know, since the dawn of mankind, you know, or some sort of dramatic statement. And I tell them as when you start off your introduction that big, you're going to have to move us to your thesis statement, which is pretty specific. So you're going to have to cover a lot of ground if you're starting off with the dawn of mankind to get to, you know, your thesis statement that's talking about a poem analysis, you know, like, how are we going to achieve that in one paragraph? So I tell them sometimes it's easier to start with the thesis itself. And then each sentence take a step back from that thesis to kind of give us that, that broader perspective. So I kind of try to teach it almost like a, like an inverse. And I'm like, let's, let's look at it in the opposite direction. Cause sometimes it's easier to move each sentence further back rather than trying to start in a random, you know, pick a spot and then just try to all of a sudden find that narrowing that needs to happen um, from there. So that's kind of my technique, but I have to start it off with, here's what we don't want to do. So let's try doing it this other way. <laughs> that totally makes sense, right? Like, because even though we do teach and it is this inverted triangle, right? Like you start broad, you go to the specific, the issue then is like, sometimes you start too broad, right? Like, or it's like, wait, how do I get from this like point A, this opening sentence to my thesis? Like, and so a lot of times what I'll see in an introduction is a really choppy, abrupt, like, okay, since the dawn of time. And then suddenly the, there's the thesis like much later, but not, it's, they're not connected, right? Like, um, so I think if you're working backwards and sort of going, okay, here's the most specific part and then I'm going to broaden from there. It's like, what's connected to this? Um, maybe it's even something like if you are, um, if the assignment allows like a narrative of sorts, it's sort of like, why this, right? Like, why is this important? Like that sort of, you know, like, why are you writing about this if you had a choice, you know, like, and so those, those types of things can easily connect, you know, it's sort of like, if this is my one experience, then, you know, here's the statistic that shows that this is not an isolated incident, that this is like 80% of students experience stress uh, during uh, finals week, you know, like that kind of thing, like that then helps solidify your thesis. Like it's, it's really about the flow too, you know? And so that's hard to do if you start with a cliche. I mean, really the bottom line, I don't, you know, and I see a lot of like quotes from Ben Franklin, you know, or something like where it's like, it's really big, you know, it's like, it's too big. Like how, you're, it, it's, it's, it's putting stress on the writer to like get from there to, you know, and so like the emphasis is more on like, it, it is still a hook, but it's like, it, it's too much on like finding the right quote or, you know, the right cliche. I don't know. It's like, and so rather than that, it's like, let's think about the thesis first and then go from there. Yeah. My, my other technique that I use to kind of, cause I, I, you know, starting off the, the, like we're saying the broad to the more specific, because then they're like, well, then what do I put in the middle? And kind of like what you were saying, Bill, I tell them it's, you're, you're giving us kind of a preview to your points. Like, so I tell them, think of it as a movie preview. When you sit down and you're watching this movie preview, they give you little clips. They give you little brief moments, little scenes that give you a little taste of what the movie is going to be about. You know, after you watch a movie preview, you know, this is a comedy. It's a romantic comedy. Here's, you know, some of the main characters. Here's, um, 
you know, what their jobs are, what they're doing. And here's kind of the central conflict of the movie. And now I'm going to go into that movie. And if all of a sudden it's a horror film, I'm completely shocked and surprised. Right. So, so you want to give us a movie preview that, that accurately portrays what's coming up. And so then your readers just kind of prepared in that sense, the same way that you're prepared going into a movie. Cause you said, I want to watch a romantic comedy. That's what I'm paying money for, not for a horror film. So, so I kind of also approach it like that where I'm like, give us a little taste of, you know, kind of the talking points that you might address. And sometimes that helps them to like, okay, I don't need to start off with since the dawn of mankind, but, you know, kind of give us that, that little preview to the, you know, to the paragraphs essentially. And that analogy works with previews in that sometimes you watch a preview for a comedy and the best joke is in the preview and it's really upsetting because you're like wait I thought that was just like a, a teaser or like a joke you know like I was expecting something much funnier like but that's it you know like so it's almost like it needs like your your best point or your best joke shouldn't be in there I don't know like the, well, there still should be other things coming right like <laughs> I I tell them too I'm like don't put it in the preview if it's not in the movie yes. either I no, can't tell you too. yeah I can't tell you how many times I've seen like, oh, I can't wait for this joke. I think it's coming up right yeah, now. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it doesn't happen. And I'm like, wait, wait a second. I paid money to see this joke. <laughs> That's such a great analogy. And all I can think of is like some student being like, in a world, one man has to write one research paper. Against all odds, he must describe how E.E. E. Cummins' poetry defined an entire generation of pastoral thought. This fall, coming to a I mean, paper near fall, you. <laughs> theaters only. That's so good. <laughs> see, uh, what was her name? See Daisy Ridley as E.E. E. Cummins in Showdown for the Lowdown. That's a really good voice. <laughs> you, should, you should do that <laughs> voiceover voice. That's good. <laughs> this makes me think... Uh, like as we're talking through recap and I don't know if this is too soon to talk about conclusions but it feels like maybe because high school students are taught and we can come back to intros by the way but like because they're taught in five paragraph and they're very comfortable there I do receive conclusions that mirror introductions so I'm curious how you both address that. Like I try to address it and say, you really have other options. You don't have to summarize every point, but what do you guys do? It's, it's funny because I feel like I'm, I'm maybe sort of leaning into their strengths there in that I do suggest that their conclusion um, restate their thesis, but with a difference, like, you know, remember this is at the end of your paper. So you can't say, I'm going to argue something you've, You've just argued it. You're done. So find a way to sort of articulate your thesis in a QED, thus I have proven sort of voice. I also say that if you, if you, it's a, you know, given the complexity of your essay, but it may be helpful to sort of summarize sort of key rhetorical moments within your essay. Um, and I have a, a, a couple of, of the, I have a working example that it's a relatively brief introduction, but it's about hockey and it uses sensory description. So it's, you know, talks about how a fight breaks out in a hockey game, but then that leads into, you know, the focus on fighting and then the ethical question of fighting and what we should do about fighting, which then leads into their thesis statement, which is, I'm going to argue that fighting is a necessary part of the game. And then the conclusion says, you know, I, I was, 
you know, we just discussed fighting in, in professional hockey, and I argue that it should be allowed, which is a restatement of the original thesis. Um, some believe that it sends the wrong message about violence, but I demonstrated that in a way it prevents more violent aspects of the games from getting out of hand. And then, and then I said, the nice thing about the conclusion, like a really effective conclusion will have some sort of call to action or takeaway. And I sort of, um, use the metaphor or, or, or the analogy rather of, of Reddit, you know, Reddit usually has a too long, didn't read, right? So here's this long post. And then there's usually like a single sentence that basically summarizes the entire thing. And my example has, as it's sort of concluding sentences, it may seem counterintuitive, but hockey with fighting, it may be a safer game than hockey without. I'm like, that's perfect, right? Because that one sentence gives you a sense of the entire paper in one shot. And it's the last thing your reader reads and still be the thing that they remember. So even if they forget all of the, the carefully constructed rhetorical stuff that you've done in the body of your essay and all of the research and the data that you've presented, if they agree with your assertion and that's the last thing they read, that's their takeaway. That's the thing they're going to put in their pocket and remember long after they've forgotten your specific argument. So I really talk about how the conclusion is the other half. Like my lecture is called rhetorical bookends. Um, and the conclusion is really the other half of that. Um, and it, and it's a companion piece of the introduction. And so I do feel that they kind of mirror each other a little bit. One is setting up expectations and then one is sort of, um, showing that you have done the thing that you promised that you're going to do, um, to use another film analogy, it's Chekhov's gun. Your introduction is Chekhov's gun. You show people the gun and then the conclusion is like, see, I used it. You, you saw it. And then I used it, right. We're all, we're all on the same page. You saw that. Um, and, and I feel like setting them up that way makes it a little bit easier for students to sort of lean on the scaffolding that they can go back and look at their introduction and be like, these are the things I did. And then I just need to sort of um, mimic that or, or, or mirror that a little bit in my conclusion. It, it makes it a little bit easier for them to write an effective conclusion as opposed to just sort of like petering out at the end of their paper, which is what I see more often than not. Um, and then the other thing that I do to kind of maybe go back to introductions a little bit is I give them sort of like templates like potential strategies, um, narrative being one, like personal narrative, which you uh, mentioned, Jeanette, like, you know, here's how I sort of arrived at this idea. Uh, I talk about using a third person point of view or narrative, like uh, Barbara Ironreich in Serving in Florida, she talks about sort of the plight of other minimum wage earners and uses their stories as a way to sort of engage the reader and get, you know, empathy and get them engaged that way. I talk about sensory and like detailed sensory descriptions. So like things like your, you know, the five senses or emotional, like, emo like an, an intensely emotional description, which feels a bit trite, right? Because pathos is so easy. It's such a great tool for manipulation. But I'm like, if we're really wanting to get our reader to be invested in our paper, that's one way to do it. And then I say the other one is sort of having a discussion on a related topic. Uh, and I even have a video that I use in class from Ted Ed that sort of is like, hey, this person's going to write this essay on great expectations. They're going to talk about the symbolism of hands. And so their introduction talks about hands outside the context of the novel. It's like hands can be used to create and destroy and their art and there's all these bones in them and blah, 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 blah. And then that in talking about hands, it does create this organic transition into the thesis statement, right? Because you were saying earlier, sometimes when you start with, you know, since the dawn of the written word, man has struggled to express his ideas in a way that is appealing to the opposite sex, right? It wasn't until Shakespeare. Um, and so it's hard. You're like, just, again, we're at this broad end of the pyramid. It's a little too fat and it's hard to get down to that point in, you know, a paragraph. Um, so I feel like giving them those scaffolding tools gives them something to start with so they don't feel like they're starting from nothing. 
and then they can adapt as they see fit um, to their particular subject. I do, I do kind of give, um, kind of like you said, like some scaffolding are in the sense of just kind of here's, here's what the purpose of each of these really is. And so with the conclusion, um, I'm actually different. I, I avoid asking for the call for action because I feel like that's when all of a sudden my students decide to lecture me on how to raise kids. And, <laughs> and that's when they get into kids in society today need to learn how to, and I'm like, okay, I, I'll promise I'll apply that when that happens, you know, like, <laughs> so, so my, my thing I always tell them is to think about, um, for both the introduction and conclusion in a way, think about the purpose of the assignment. Um, your instructor didn't just assign this cause they said, I feel like reading, you know, 20 papers about this subject. No, you know, there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to the readings that they chose and to kind of think about the bigger picture. That's what I, that's the phrasing I kind of focus on is the bigger picture of the assignment, not just your argument, the assignment itself. Um, you know, even within the class, think about the other things that you've been reading in class. Um, and then even take that a step further and think about, um, you know, what's happening outside of class, you know, how is this relevant kind of beyond just our class itself? Um, you know, in the larger discussion of everything. So I kind of ask them to, I do tell them to reinforce their thesis. Um, I say reinforce just so that they don't copy and paste, but, um, and then I say, you know, kind of synthesize some of your main points, but then kind of really think about why you were asked to write this argument in the first place and how that relates to, like I said, either the whole class or, you know, outside class. Cause that's kind of what we want to see is just you making those global connections. Um, and so sometimes that helps them to steer away from, you need to watch your kids and <laughs> make sure they stop bullying. And I'm like, I promise I'll try, you know? So, so it kind of helps to give them a little bit of more direction. I think, um, when I can phrase it that way. I think that makes a lot of sense. Cause it's like, why does this matter? right? Like you've written all this, you've collected this information, you, you know, you, whatever the essay contents, the body paragraphs are, but it's like, okay, so why is this significant? You know, like why, you know, um, one thing I was thinking about too, is both of you were talking, it's like, I think there's this expectation that, and, and this is what I try to remind students, like when you, and you both said it like key points, like key things, right? Like it doesn't, you don't have to include every single point you've made because these are longer essays than you wrote in high school, right? Like it can be a relatively short paragraph. Like it doesn't have to be this, you know, you don't have to, if you want to, you could obviously, but it's, there's, there's this flexibility and it really, I think is like the strong, like fun to read conclusions and please make them fun because this is the last thing we read, you know, before we assign the grade, right? Like it is like the, the, the final word you have, you know, like it's, I, I think as a writer, it's easy to just be like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I, you know, like I've been writing for a long time. I just, I just want to stop. Um, but this is the last thing that your reader reads, right? So yeah, that's a, that, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, I always try to temper the whole call to action thing with, or it can be this. And, and one thing I kind of stopped, I got out of the habit of using, but was like, what was the, so what question that you answered? Um, you know, did you keep your promise to your, to your reader, the promise that you made in the introduction? Did you keep that promise and how so? Um, that could also maybe be a way of describing what needs to go in the conclusion or should go in the conclusion is, you know, did you answer that question for your reader? Did you, did you make good on that promise? 
uh, and, and maybe how so. And I feel like every essay, every, you know, sort of argumentative or persuasive essay could really be broken down into like three major parts, which is, again, is your primary argument, addressing the counter argument and then having some sort of like rebuttal to that counter argument, which if you think about the key rhetorical moments, like those are really just the three things that you need to have in your conclusion, right? Is like, hey, I argue that this. Some people would disagree and say this, but I've demonstrated that, you know, their line of thinking is, you know, stinking thinking, and this is why. And so we should all think that uh, maybe the better thing that we should do is worry less about our personal carbon footprint and worry about more about the corporate carbon footprint. Drop the mic, I'm done. All right. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we're about 20 minutes in, so this seems like a, a good point to sort of bring our discussion to a conclusion. So any final words of wisdom? for our, our listeners with regards to introductions and conclusions? Um, I would just say one thing, um, kind of reflecting on how you talk about like the bookends, which I really like that kind of thought. Um, because you would buy bookends together, um, I would say, think about writing them together. Think about writing both of those paragraphs at the same time. That way you're not going to fall into the habit of just kind of repeating yourself. Um, or at least it, it kind of might, you know, help prevent that, but it also kind of allows you to make sure that they are a bit distinct in a way, um, you know, but that they, that they complement one another, uh, you know, so sometimes that, that helps, uh, to kind of think about it that way. Cause I often say, I'm like, write your body paragraphs first. Now let's, you know, look at both your introduction and conclusion and write them together. And now you have the drafts for those, you know, so it's kind of fun to, to write the essay in a different way than you might normally well, and I'm, that makes me think of like, just in our whole discussion, like it's the movie preview for your introduction and then be sure that you say something, whatever it is, like, cause we've talked about very different things for the conclusion actually, where you drop the mic, drop the mic, right? Like you want it to be one of those moments where you're like in there. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I just want to point out, uh, Carrie, Carrie already alluded to this, but maybe write your introduction last. Uh, I've been saying this a lot in my classroom the last few years. Um, it's okay to write your introduction last when you already know what your argument's going to be. Uh, there's this inclination with students to start at the beginning and try to write their paper in a, a continuous linear fashion from start to finish. And the students that try that are the ones that seem to struggle the most with getting page count, with developing their argument, because they're, they're trying to get it perfect from the start. And I, and I sort of encourage them to ignore perfect and to just write. And then when they're done through revision, discover their argument and then draft your introduction. And I like the idea of comparing your introduction and conclusion as those bookends. Look at those paragraphs side by side. Make sure that you're making a promise. Make sure that you've demonstrated your promise. But those two things aren't identical. And I think it's a great place to bring this to a close. Uh, I hope that you, dear listener, have found this to be enlightening. Now you just need to get out there and write something.